Hey, why is it that I come to church and I learn about a website information or an app? And the answer to that is because we want to be a church that does life together. And we want to be a church that lives in relationship together. And so that matters. So here's what I'm going to ask. Would you just stand up for a second and uh, just greet someone next to you? We usually don't do this, but just say hi uh, because relationships matter. Go ahead and sit down whenever you're ready. Thanks for doing that. That's fun for me to see. Uh, People matter, relationships matter, and that really all of this fits very much with what we're doing today. Well, today I get to begin by uh, saying that we're starting a new sermon series together, and um, it's kind of before going into what that's all about. Uh, I want to give a little bit of background uh, on this, maybe why, where it's come from. Um, Let me begin with 2004. February of 2004, we moved into this facility, and so that's almost three years ago. And so three years, what's that? What did I say? (laughs) Put that on the web. (laughs) Welcome to 1998. (laughs) So whenever we moved in here, it was about three years ago. And uh, uh, so that you know, part of what I did kind of with my role is I wanted to make sure that we spent some significant time, it's been now essentially three years of time, staying focused on the center of the target of what we're about, and ultimately that's about Jesus Christ. So for three years there's been a highly Christological, I might call it emphasis, especially in the first three sermon series. Let me remind you of those. So when we moved into this facility, we did a series on the book of Colossians, Uh, Jesus Christ supreme and setting the supremacy of Jesus Christ kind of as a theological foundation out of the book of Colossians. And then after that, we didn't want to leave it in just a theoretical reality of who Christ is. We wanted to see him, if you will, second person of the Trinity, boots on the ground in the incarnation. Uh, Christ in the gospel of Mark, be amazed by who he is. And, uh, And yet, even then, we don't want to leave Christ in the reality of just the incarnation. Because the reality of who Christ is today really is portrayed for us in so many ways in the book of Revelation. So we went there. Revelation chapter 1, the resurrected, glorified, magnified Jesus Christ, the only one who is worthy to be able to take the scroll out of the Father's hand, that is the one who resides today, friends. And that is the Christ who is over all things. And from that, we went into the book of Judges to see that the Lord is the sovereign warrior pursuer. Uh, And yet, if that's the case, God's people are not supposed to respond like they did in the book of Judges. We're kind of like, God is just like not a part. It's just like checked out with that. And so then we, after the book of Judges, we came on and grabbed the series leading up uh, towards Christmas, which is He is Bigger Than. And the idea that he is bigger than all that we can think or imagine, and therefore, this is how people, God's people, 
are to be able to live through life. If I could summarize the last three years of sermons, I'd summarize it in this sentence. Uh, Harvest Bible Chapel, we must be about the fame of the name of the supreme, amazing, resurrected, glorified, magnified Jesus Christ, who is the sovereign warrior pursuer and is far bigger than all than you and I can think or imagine. That's what the last three years has been about. And we want to continue that. And what happens is, is when people move into a facility, the facility gets them off track. And they think we've arrived or they think that's what our thing's about. But we do not want to be a faith family defined by a building. We don't want to have it be defined by personal agendas or programs. We want to be a people living for the fame of the name of Jesus Christ and doing that together in all that. Now, we desire to be that, uh, correct? We want to be that. And we're continuing to grow and learn how to do that. Now, in light of that, I would say that's the last three years. And I'd like for us to consider that we are almost, in the beginning of March, we will be nine years old. Now, there's part of that where I say, it's like nine years old, man, that's been a long time. But I say it more from the standpoint of this. We are only nine years old. Okay, we are only nine years old. Have you met a nine-year-old that's maybe about the size of a 14-year-old? And you talk to them like they're a 14-year-old, and in their head they're like, sorry, but I'm a nine-year-old. Maybe they're thinking they're a 14-year-old, and you know they're not in that. And it's the kind of thing for us as a church with, with what's going on. It's, it's, let me put it this way. From day one when we began uh, this ministry, and Karen and myself were part, in my mind, I'm thinking the first 20 years. I always have been since day one here. Because at 20 years old, I'll be 65. <laughs> and, uh, but also at 20 years old, it's kind of when, when an adult is 20 years old, you can begin to expect them to be able to really do some serious stuff, right? And so at 20 years old, I'm a developer kind of a guy. And so in my mind, I'm let's develop this ministry out, uh, grow this, get this established. And as time is moving in to be able to ultimately, my desire is I'd love to be able to pass this thing off so the 20-year-old can take it and run with this and kick it out for Christ. Even more so in that. And, and so in that, what, how I would use a couple words to summarize who we are Here would be a couple of those words. The last nine years has been about, in a word, ready. We have been seeking to be and grow as a ready people. A people ready for the Lord. A people uh, understanding more and more of how we do ministry together. We've always known the kind of ministry we are as a Harvest Church. But trying to learn to do that together. And we want to be a ready church. And so in the first years when we were in the theater, it was kind of getting that ready established. Then honestly, when we moved into the facility for the first couple years, it was reestablishing us getting ready. Now that we have a facility and and, and an advancing side of a team and all of these things. Last year, as Nick mentioned, it was ready from the standpoint of infrastructure. Um, Here we are. We just needed to get the bones of this whole thing advancing to a place, and we're excited about what the Lord has done. We we have staff structuring taking place, uh, some operations of things taking place, uh, data bytes, websites, apps. I'm telling you, they matter. They're a part of helping us to be a faith family together in it. Um, the word 
Ready, though, is not just a past history word. In fact, I started the very first Sunday, January 1st here, taking us to Ephesians 6, if you were here for that, and keying the word ready. We want to be a ready people, Ephesians 6, strong in the Lord and in the strength of the Lord. We want to be an armored up, armored in the Lord, not in ourselves. We want to be a standing firm together people in the Lord. We want to be a praying without ceasing kind of people unto the Lord. This is always, ready is always a part of us. It always has been, always will. So let's continue to be ready. Second word that's always been a key thing is go, go. We want to be a going church, a going people. I mean, I'd love it for people to look and go, man, I, I don't know what the scoop is over there at Harvest City West, but those people are going. They are a going people. They're going and sharing the good news of Jesus Christ at school and at work and in their communities. They're going and they're making disciples and growing as disciple makers. And, and in it all, they're doing the one and others of scripture with each other. And they're going beyond their own walls and uh, being involved in other churches and planting churches and encouraging others. Ready and go have been two key words for us. But there's a third word that's critical, and you can see it on the front of your update there. And what is it? Together. Together. Why is together important? Because if you've ever been a part of a team, whether it's sports or in choir or any kind of work, any kind of thing you've been a team on, here's the reality. You can be a team that is ready and going, and a team that is ready and going can be an increasingly ready-to-go team. But a team that is, is lacking together will never accomplish what they would like to accomplish. So in it all, it's the idea that if we are really not together, you will not be ready. And if you are really not together, you will not go far. It's just a reality of team in the whole thing of it all. And I think most people would agree with what I've just said. You've been on teams that work well together and teams that don't. And I think God's people would say, yeah, we want to be a together people as God's people in it. But here's where this sermon series is going. As we want to press ahead in that and being a ready, going, together people, I'm not sure everybody has a theology of what together really is. Let me clarify it this way. Together means doing relationship. And we all do relationship, right? I mean, we all just assume that we have relationship. But what's your theology of relationship? Do you have one? Do you know? Guess what? We're going to have one. And you're going to know. Here's how this is going to work. So this series is kind of two stages to it. Stage number one, we're going to take three Sundays. The next two, then Misha is going to come and, and finish out this month with us and preaching before they head back to St. Vincent. And then the first Sunday in uh, February, I'm going to finish this first three parts up. In these three parts, we're going to set a theology of relationship. And what those three are is God has ordained together. God has ordained relationship. Sin has brought brokenness into relationship. Have you ever wondered why relationships are hard? Yep, next Sunday. And then the third one is going to be, yet we are called to persevere and endure together in relationship. So we're going to build that out. And then after that, we're going to take six or seven Sundays up right until probably the Sunday before Easter, uh, building out the idea of together from the book of Corinthians, Okay. So here's what's going on. 
the next three Sundays are going to be kind of a theology developing Sundays. We're not going to have a single text like I normally do that go to. I love going through books of the Bible. We're not going to do that right at the moment. We're going to build out a theology, but I want for you to understand there's a reason why we're going to be doing what we're doing. So this is going to be a little bit more class-like. Some of you have just checked out because I said that. Please don't. Hang in there. I think this is going to be really helpful for you, but we're developing today, tomorrow, or next Sunday, and, this, and, and then the third Sunday, we're going to be developing developing a theology of together, a theology of relationship, okay? So with that, let's roll. Number one, God has ordained together. God has ordained together. Another way of saying that is God has ordained relationship. Relationship is not a human-invented idea. It is a God-ordained invented idea and reality. So please turn to your Bibles to Genesis chapter 1, and we're going to go from beginning to end, and we're going to see this in building out a theology here over the next 30 minutes here together. Genesis chapter 1. God has ordained relationship. Where we're going to start with on this is in this is two parts of this, and the part here that we're starting with is God has created relationship. God has created relationship. We're in Genesis 1, and uh, we're going to then, therefore, go from the beginning. Okay? God created relationship in the beginning. You with me? God created relationship in the beginning. Prove it, Doug. I would love to. Genesis chapter 1, look at verse 26. Then God said, during the creation account, let us... Make man, Adam, in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over the livestock, over all the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created Adam in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God said to them, go, and God said, bless them, and said to them, be fruitful and multiply Fill the earth, subdue it, and have dominion over it. I could take, I'd love to take the time to work out so many things right in here, but I'm just going to hit it kind of on some summary points here. Number one, note that the the Trinity is involved here. You see in verse 26, and God said, let us make man in our image. Now either God is a schizophrenic, Okay? Or there is a triune reality. We're not here to build the Trinity today in that theology, but we know from Scripture that there is a triune reality of the Godhead. God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. They're all, in, all unique, individual, yet together in perfect relationship. And I say it that way because of this. A triune God in perfect relationship in eternity past created things such that relationship existed. A Godhead that was in perfect relationship in eternity past. By the way, like the Godhead was not bored with themselves and they're like, I don't know, like let's have some more peeps so we can like be unbored with each other. That's not what was going on in it. But yet in this, as God creates it, the Godhead creates for the Godhead's glory in all this. Notice the Godhead creates relationship. And you can see this, that he creates them in relationship with God. 
That is part of the intent that is coming out of the text here, and as we'll see. And also along with that, when God created humankind, it included a horizontal relationship because God did not say, okay, let's make male and female, and then let's put them over on Mars and them over on Venus. Uh, you know, let's spread them around or put them here or there, or keep them apart. The idea contained with this is, is, no, 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 there is going to be a relationship context that takes place with these that I've created. And for them to be able to subdue and have dominion over the earth, they have to do that together. So let me break it this way. The Godhead in perfect relationship together created humanity that's had to have relationship with the Godhead and is also to have relationship with humanity. And I won't take the time to break it out, but even humanity with humanity, we could even break out that God's people with God's people, as we'll see here in a bit, and within it there's also a reality of family with family. All of these relationships are contained within the reality of the creation account. Now go over to Genesis chapter 1 and verse 31. And God saw that everything that he made, and behold, it was like really, really very good. Hey, what the God had created, the God had loved. And the aspect of the, 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 the image of God is being created in the reality of humanity. Is some of the characteristics of who the Godhead is. And God loves it. God loved humanity in relation with him and humanity in relationship with humanity, God's people with God's people and family with family. Let's build that out a little bit more. Uh, Look at chapter two, verse 18. Verse 18. Then the Lord God said, it's not good for the man to be alone. Chapter two is a finer description of the creation account of chapter one. So now we're getting into God is teaching how Adam and Eve came about on this whole thing. And he says, it's not good that man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. Uh, Now out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field, every bird of the heavens, and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called them, the living creature, that's what it was named. That's a cow. That's a pig. That's a uh, something like that. And then the man gave... Uh, names to the livestock, verse 21, or end of verse uh, 20. For Adam, there was, no found, there was no helper fit found for him. So it's like there's an animal, there's a bear, there's an elephant, there's a thing. But like, where's mine? Where's one like me? And God in this, so the Lord caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. While he slept, took one of the ribs, closed up its place, and the rib that the Lord had taken from the man, he made into a woman, brought her to the man, and he said, whoa, man! Uh, woman, I'm trying, you guys. Uh, and it says, the man said, this is at last bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. And she shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father, mother, hold fast to his wife. They shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Hey, listen. All of Genesis 1 and 2 It all contains this deep idea of thriving, healthy, engaged relationship. God with mankind. God with his creation. Mankind with the Lord. Mankind with mankind. All the way or even coming down to within the family, there's this unique relationship of a man and a woman married together. Hey, If you think that the idea of the marriage relationship is a human-designed idea, that's bad theology. That's not what the scriptures say. 
God is the one who created it and designed it and gets to therefore speak into it. God created marriage and God created here even within this the capacity for them to be able to have children to multiply and out. So you have the wife-husband relationship, you have a parent-child relationship. Relationship fills the first two chapters of God's word. Don't lose sight of that. Not only did God create relationship in the beginning, but God created relationship to go into eternity. Turn to Revelation 21. Go to the end of the book. Revelation 21. God created relationship in the beginning, and God has created relationship to go into eternity. We're now at the new heaven and the new earth. We are theologically the eternal state. This is like... All the old is gone, the new is truly come. Chapter 21, verse 1, Then I saw, John says, a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, listen to what's said, Behold, the dwelling place. The idea of that term right there is the tent, the tabernacle of God is where? Is with man, redeemed man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more, nor shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. Listen, friends, in eternity... God has designed this relationship that is amazing. The idea even here is God is with. Not like we're here and he's some far off place. God is with. In fact, it's in the personal so much that it's like he will wipe away every tear. You can't do that from distance. Look over Revelation chapter 22, verses 3 and 4. It says, no longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and the Lamb will be in it. This is a proximity statement. And his servants will worship him, and they will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. This is proximity. Godhead is with redeemed man for eternity such that he can wipe their tears away, such that his throne is in location there, such that they can see his face, such that they have his name tatted all over them. That's awesome. God has created relationship in the beginning and into eternity. Now, now here's the thing about that. If we stopped there, I would be a deist or on the verge of that, which means the deist has the idea that God created everything and then just stepped away and just letting it to go, whatever, and maybe someday God will step back in and take care of it all. But we're not that. I'm not that. So I want to build out of this idea here that God created relationship in the beginning and into eternity, but God has continued relationship from beginning to end. Watch, God has continued relationship, okay? God has continued relationship. Turn to Genesis 9. Let's go in between Adam and Eve 
and the new heaven and the new earth. And let's pull a thread. Okay, that's all I'm doing here is I'm just saying, let's see the relationship. And I want to start out with this by, by showing that God has continued relationship through covenant. By the way, when I say that, I'm not talking about a theological framework of covenant theology. That's not what the conversation is. I'm talking about just watch what happened God does with relationship. God uh, initiates and God uh, goes after addressing and proclaiming and giving these covenant relationships. Here's the cool thing, you guys. God desires relationship with you. God has did in the beginning then even after sin came into the picture, he has all the way through. Watch. Because here we are after the flood. Uh, the, the flood's taken place out of God's judgment on mankind. We're at chapter 9, and we read verse 1. And God blessed Noah and his sons, and he said to them, You know what? The first time I tried to do this whole thing, it didn't go so well. So I'm going to do with a whole other structure, and actually I'm going to get rid of you all because you annoy me. No, it doesn't say that in the Hebrew either. Okay? Here's what God says. God is at a point he could reboot it. He could do it any way that he wanted to right now. What does God do? He says the exact same thing he said with Adam and Eve. Be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. And he gives them the same directive that he gave Adam and Eve. It got so bad that God brought his judgment on the face of the earth and rebooted, had the opportunity to start all over again after booting it all out. And yet he comes right back to what he had done before. And by the way, in the whole thing, Noah is not looking for the relationship. God initiated it. Do not lose sight of this because I think so often God's just all fine out by himself and he's way far. He doesn't care about anything I have to do. And what's coming out of this is God is the one who's stepping in. God is the one who's saying, no, I will establish covenant relationship with you. Because look at verse 9. God says to Noah and his uh, sons with him, behold, I establish my covenant with you. Know this. That was not preceded by Noah saying, hey, can I establish a covenant with you? God steps in and initiates. I have established my covenant with you and your offspring after you and with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the flocks, the livestock, and every beast of the earth with you. As many as came out of the ark, it is for every beast of the earth. I establish my covenant with you that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood and never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, this is the sign of the covenant that I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all future generations. Go to verse 16. When the bow, when the rainbow is in the clouds, I will see it, that's the sign, and remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh on the earth. And God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant that I have established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. I, 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 if this is all garbled theological Bible talk right now, let me, let me try and bring it in. God, the Godhead that created it all, the Godhead is interested in relationship with you and me. Now, after saying something like that, I would really think that would be like a really cool time for people to go like, amen. So the Godhead 
in everything, when it had the chance to say, I'm done with you, the Godhead steps in and says, no, I'm going to reestablish the ability to have relationship with you because I would seek to have relationship and I establish it with you forever. That means you and I can have access to and relationship with God. Theology matters. It really matters. But it doesn't stop with Noah. Let's just keep going. Let's run through this. Abraham. Abram, chapter 15 of Genesis, chapter 15. Abraham's just going along, doing his own thing, doing life. And guess who shows up? God. God shows up. Abraham is not even told that Abraham's like looking for God, searching for God, yearning for God, wanting relationship for God. It doesn't even say anything about that. It just shows that God showed up. And God showed up and established a covenant with Abraham. Chapter 15, verse 18. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham, saying to you, to your offspring, I give this land, so on and so forth. Look over to chapter 17 in Genesis, a page over, verse 16. And God says to Abraham, I will bless her, Sarah, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her and she shall be Come nations, kings of peoples shall come from her. And Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, Shall a child be born to a man who is a hundred years old? Shall Sarah, who is ninety years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. And God said, No, but Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son. And you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him. As an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. So many things we could say about there. I'm just tying a thread on through. Let's move ahead to Moses. Go to Exodus chapter 3. Exodus 3. We're at the burning bush. Here Moses is out with his sheep. And he's not looking for God. It doesn't say anything about that whole thing. And guess what? Again, God shows up in Moses' life. Chapter 3 verse 7 And God out of the burning bush said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt. I pause there because, uh, at least as my research so far, that, that the term that God uses of my people, that this is the first time that God uses this term about a people. And by the way, he's not saying the people, a people, some people, those people. He's saying my people. God is saying, those are my peeps. God is saying that. He holds them dear. He holds them close. He sees them. I've heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings. Verse 8, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and bring them up out of the land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey to the place with all the ites are. In verse 9, and now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians possess, oppress them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Egypt, Israel out of Egypt. My people. Let me note this. If you've come to understand from the scriptures that you're a sinner separated from God, and you've come to receive Jesus Christ as your Savior, to be redeemed, to come back, to have him save you from your sin and forgiven you and come into relationship, know this. You are one of his people. 
And that's not because I say it. That's because he says it. God says, that's my peep. Don't ever lose sight of that. And may I also say this, if you don't know Christ is your savior, that's not the case. But out of this, God has designed and set up and established the opportunity for relationship with him, to be called one of his own people. Go to Exodus 19, uh, further in the book of Exodus there. Here they are, uh, they've come out of Egypt. God has brought them out there at the Mount Sinai here. And, and I'm, again, I'm just showing the thread of God's covenant establishing relationship work. Exodus 19, let me read verse 4 through 6. You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Oh, one more time. A term of intimate relationship. He didn't say, and I brought you to the mountain that I really love. He didn't say, I brought you here. He says, I brought them out to myself. Now, therefore, verse 5, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. But it doesn't stop here. Let's just go to David as as continuing the thread. Turn to 2 Samuel chapter 7, further right. It's page 259. If you're using the Bible in front of you or somewhere around there in your own Bible, 259. 2 Samuel 7, the Lord establishes his covenant with David, from Adam and Eve to Noah to Abraham to Moses to David. Verse 9, 2 Samuel 7, and Nathan, talking to uh, God, telling Nathan what to say to David, verse 9, and I have been with you, by the way, those small groups doing the with book. Yeah, I will be with you wherever you went and have cut off all your enemies before you. I will make you, by the way, notice how God is saying all that he does in this. I will make for you a great name like the names of the great ones of the earth. And I will appoint a place for my people Israel and will plant them so that they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more. And violent men shall afflict them no more as formerly from the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel. And I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from my body and I will establish his kingdom. Verse 13, he shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes and sons of men, but my steadfast love will not depart from him. As I took it from Saul, whom I put away before you, and your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. In accordance with all these words, in accordance with all the vision Nathan spoke to David. What's the point? The point is, God is all about relationship. God is a God that desires that relationship would happen. And by the way, out of this, coming out of Jeremiah 31 and so forth, go all the way to uh, um, um, Hebrews 9. Hebrews 9. 
Because out of this comes the new covenant, established, uh, initiated, and put into place with Christ. Let me note it here in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 11. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is not of his creation, verse 12, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood. It doesn't get much closer than that. Thus securing an eternal redemption. Verse 13, for if the blood of coats and goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, got the Trinity right there, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Therefore, he is the mediator of a new covenant so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. From Adam and Eve through Noah to Abraham to Moses to David to the incarnate Christ, God continues relationship and makes it available to all. Why does relationship matter? Relationship matters because relationship matters to God. Why do relationships matter? Relationships matter because relationship matters to God. From beginning to end and through the whole reality of it all. All of redemptive history, God is about relationship with him, and God is also about relationship with mankind. God has put it into place. And so a right theology of relationship includes this idea that God created relationship in the beginning and into eternity, and God has continued relationship through his covenants. And I want to finish with the last passage, through his command. Turn to Matthew 22. Matthew 22. Matthew 22, it's shortly before the crucifixion. By the way, relationship doesn't get much closer than God actually putting his feet on the the ground and being with. And here it's shortly before the crucifixion. Uh, Shortly before where we're in, we're in Matthew uh, 22 uh, verses. I'll pick up and start reading about 35 here. But what's been taking place, he's in the temple grounds there and, and, and all the angry peeps the Pharisees and the Sadducees and, you know, all the, the proud uh, individuals of the day there. Um, and they've been trying to uh, set Christ into a corner to capture him and, and take him out in all this. And, and the Lord's just been shutting him down there as embarrassed as all get out. So what do they do? Well, here's what everybody does. When relationships have problems and they keep having problems, they get to the end and you send a lawyer. And that's what they do. Because here, one of the Sadducees, verse 35, and one, of them, and one of them, a lawyer, sorry lawyers, love you, asked Jesus a question to test him. In other words, they really weren't trying to learn. They were just pushing his buttons and trying to corner him and capture him. 
Politics hasn't changed, has it? Verse 36, teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? Notice in the question, he's asking for of all the commandments, teacher, because it's part of that's been in the conversation. What's the great one? What's the great one? Because we're really interested. No, you're not. You're really interested to try and corner him. But that's okay. Jesus responds back. And the way Jesus responds is he's like, got an answer for you. In fact, I'm not going to give you one. I'm going to give you two because really the two are tied together. You can't do the one without the other. You can't do the other without the one. So what does Jesus say? He says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Relationship. Relationship. I mean, the second person of the Trinity says, hey, if there's one thing that I say first to be able to say what's the greatest thing possible is to have a relationship with the Lord. Like, not just like a, a noted relationship where it's like kumbaya one time and then forget it for 10 years and then another kumbaya 10 years later. No, it's talking about relationship with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind and engage full out relationship with the Lord. Like, that's the best thing ever. But then he doesn't stop. He doesn't, it's actually not like a period there. It's kind of like a comma. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, comma. And, verse 38, this is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And these two commandments depend all the law of the prophets. What's God saying? God's saying this. The Lord is saying, here's what life comes down to. Love the Lord and love others. What's the core of all that? The core of all that is relationship. That's from God, not me. We're building out a theology of relationship. And you need to start with this one truth point that God has ordained relationship. God invented it. God designed it. He started in the beginning he has it in place for eternity into the eternity future, and he's that all the way through. God has ordained relationship. Now, how can we walk away with this with just a couple items? Number one, it was interesting, uh, perfect timing. Thursday, Erwin Lutzer tweeted, God has ordained that not one of us should work alone. Maybe you're one who is um, like, you know what, I do life alone. I really don't need people. Well, let me say this. Uh, part of my job is to say to ourselves what we generally wouldn't say to ourselves. And so let me confront you. God has created you for relationship. God has created you for relationship. Yeah, but Doug, don't you understand how hard relationships are? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Next Sunday, we're talking the theological reason why relationships are broken and so hard. But right now, we're on the idea that God has ordained relationship in it. And you can't do life alone. And if you think you can, you have bad theology. I say that lovingly. And I think God's word needs to confront you in that. Because you can't do life alone. Because God has ordained relationship. 
Along with that, if I can, before I encourage you, I would like to confront us with this. The fact that God has ordained relationship means that relationships are not about you and they're not about me. Your relationships are not about you. And my relationships are not about me. God has not ordained that to be the case. And yet, I would likely say that for all of us in this room, we generally do relationships by what it does for us. And that's bad theology. God has ordained relationship with him and relationship with humanity. And we don't do relationship because of what we get out of it. We do relationship because God has ordained it to be. So if you're one that wants to do relation alone and relationship isolated, I want to lovingly confront you with God's word. You're in a bad place. Now let me encourage you. If you are in a hard relationship, or if you are in a place to where relationships are just wearing on you, this whole morning should encourage you. And I say it because the relationships in your life are not about you. They are about God. And the fact that God has ordained relationships mean that the relationships that we have vertically and horizontally, when they get hard, they are still of great value. They matter. Relationships matter because God has ordained them. And if you're in a place where you're just tired of it and you're just worn out from it and you're just broken up from it, know this, it's worth the fight because God has ordained it. And be encouraged by that. The Lord knows, and we're going to be building that out as we go here. God has ordained together. And friends, if we're to be a ready people and a go people, we must be a together people. And I will tell you, there will be no greater impact than us being a together people. When God's people are together, look out. Look out. Because God can do a great work. Part one of three. Let's pray. Lord, I just simply thank you that relationship is such a big deal to you that you created it, it will continue into eternity, and you've had it in between all of that. In fact, relationship makes so much of a deal to you that you came to be with and among us. For the second person of the Trinity to die on the cross, rise again, to be able to secure 
the reality of a sin-cursed mankind to have a relationship with you. God, I pray that we would be a people that see the fact of relationship rightly. Yes, it's hard. But you have ordained it. You have set the pace. We've seen you do it and continue in it even when rejected, even when turned away from, even when abandoned, even when forsaken, even when God's people withdraw from you. I pray that we would have a higher view of relationship, Lord. It's a divine thing. It's not a man-made thing. So help us, would you? Help us to be more like you in our thinking about the reality of relationship. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.